everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Well, phase two has begun, I guess. It's here. It's kind of here. You're allowed to practice, but not really. I don't know. We'll just we'll get into all of it, but what I do know is hockey is coming back, and damn, that's a good thing, because uh, if you have ESPN+, Plus, there's a bunch of old games in their archive, and I watched the 75 final the other night. Boy, am I bored. <laughs> I could really use some games. Let's get into it. Let's let's just do the intros. How about it? Uh, let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So I read an interesting article the other day when I was... So you're reading an interesting article the other day. Um, and it asked the question, if there was an NHL player or NHL players who elected not to report to do any of this because they didn't feel that it was safe for them or their family to do it. How would you feel about that? And I kind of don't know how I would feel about it. I thought it was kind of an interesting question. That is an interesting question. Um, yeah. Because the human part of me is like, obviously everyone's got to do what's best for their families. Right. But listen, you know, I know people who've been working this whole time. Yep. Yeah, that's the Your thing jo- is... We're back to work. Yeah, if the the grocery store people can go to work, I feel like maybe you can go to work. Yeah, surrounded by the general public, not getting tested every single day. Like, these are the safest people. Yeah, right. The the NBA and NHL players are the absolute safest. (laughs) They're They're in prime physical condition, they're being quarantined, and they're being tested every day. So, yeah, I get not wanting to leave your family at this point, but also... Eh, lots of people got to work. I hear to you. me, to me, it depends on the reason. Mm. Like, if if there is a player who has a serious pre-existing condition, like type one diabetes, I would have absolutely no problem with that player saying, "I don't feel comfortable doing this because, like, I could legitimately die from this. I am in a an, an at-risk section." Or if it's someone who, like, you know, their wife or their kid has a, a serious pre-existing condition, I would have no problem with that. If it's just that, like. Well, you know, I don't feel like going because reasons. Then I would be a little bit less sympathetic because, like, they are being paid to do this. Um, but, like, I'm 100% sympathetic to the players who, you know, would have reasons of, like, my wife is a type 1 diabetic, my wife has, you know, an autoimmune disease of some sort, something like that, or they have that kind of disease. Like, that, to me, is a perfectly viable excuse. But, you know... If, if that isn't there, and I would hope that those sort of situations are, are negotiated between the NHL and the NHLPA to give those sort of players an out if they want it. But if that isn't there, and the player just, you know, doesn't want to do it, you know, you join a union kind of for a reason. And if mm. the union agree, like, if, if the entirety of the union agrees that we're going to do this like obviously it's not it doesn't have to be unanimous but if the majority of the union agrees that we're going to do this and one player says i don't want to then I, you know it's his right i guess not to but it's also the team's right to say okay we're not going to pay you you know what i mean so like it's it's a nuanced thing but i i would say i hope that the nhl and the nhlpa come to some sort of agreement regarding uh players or Player players with very close family members with serious pre-existing conditions because I think that's an important thing to take into account. 
I think any player who uses their wife as an excuse has to put out a video saying my wife in the Borat voice. My wife. <laughs> then, I'm to- then I'm totally accepting of <laughs> Oh, and that voice that was just, you know, monologuing that whole time, that was the Athletic.com's own Charlie O'Connor. Hi, it me. So, uh, so I was doing a uh, an article this weekend on um, Claude Giroux's ten best goals of his career, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but also, it just kind of reinforced in my head like just how underrated Claude Giroux is because mm. he's so unbelievably skilled. And I think Flyers fans get that, but I I have I kind of think that national fans or just fans of other teams don't quite understand the crazy stuff that Claude Giroux can do with the puck. It's wild. And it's, he's not, you know, he's not a goal scorer. He had the one, what, 30, 32 goal season, but it's not like he's an 18 to 22 goal guy. He's averaged like 28 most of his career. He can do basically anything with the puck. And then, yeah, I was reading your article and I just forget about some of these like absolutely devastating like uh deeks and just what he can do you forget sometimes because you always think the one-timer and setting other guys up but he's got a bunch of moves yeah i'm not even sure flyers fans properly appreciate claude Giroux, to be honest uh, it's funny you bring that up because we're gonna get to something i think a little later in the show where we discuss maybe his place in the pantheon of flyers history uh-huh. But first, I guess we're going to talk about one of the things... Oh, no, wait. I forgot. The real big news from this week. <laughs> oh, baby. I, you know, lots of things. I'm excited about hockey. I mean, there are a lot of the, the world maybe getting back to a little bit of uh, normalcy in some way, shape, or form. Cool. But yesterday, on 6-9, <laughs> the maybe biggest... The thing I've anticipated most in my lifetime... <laughs> the teaser, tra- I swear to God, the teaser trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music, the trilogy is finally going to be completed. I teared <laughs> up a little just seeing them do the characters. I don't care if this movie is the biggest piece of shit ever made. I am going to see it three times in theaters. I mean, I'm I don't care if the pandemic is still going on. Let me into a theater. I, uh... Keanu Reeves looks old as fuck. Why does he look so weird? He looks... I was I was watching it. I watched it twice. And I was like, did he get Botox in his he forehead? He has, like, plastic surgery like, face, but not all the way. No, like, no, it wasn't moving, like, in a yeah. human way. It was, like, it was very weird. And so it kind of, like, when he does the woe face, like, it, that's a face that he makes, like... And he yeah. didn't seem to be capable of doing it, so it was no, weird. No, like, his his mouth is there, but, like, the rest of his face is not... Nothing else I is I hope moving. that's, like, part of the story. Like, he's trying to stay young and looks ridiculous <laughs> on purpose. Could be. I have to, like, I have to think so, because, like, he looks he looks perfectly normal in the John Wick movies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was, that's what was weird about it, because I was thinking to myself, and I was like, wait... I've seen him in movies recently. Like, I've seen old Keanu Reeves do acting, and he didn't look like a weird plastic version of himself, so I don't know what's going on in this one. Alex Winter looks exactly the same. He does. He looks fantastic. He's an aged a bit. He's, it's unbelievable. But yeah, the, it starts, it opened up with, like, 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the whole world. Last month, you played in four, in front of 40 people who were there for $2 tacos. Like, I was like, all right, perfect, perfect premise. Let's go. I, that yeah, is, uh, yeah. This, is like, this yeah. is like Kelly and Me's favorite movie, and I've been waiting for this third one since grade school. It's finally coming out. I'm excited about it. Let's get to the hockey. Hey, yeah. ah. So I guess uh, like the piece of news that has come out since our last show is a few more details about this playoff format. Uh, specifically, they're going to reseed after each round. So whoever the top seed is coming out of the round robin thing, they're going to get to play the lowest seed after the play-in series and so on every round. So it's not going to be a fixed bracket where just you play whoever and then next round it's whoever's in that bracket. It's reseeded by conference every single round. How does this affect the Flyers and the Leafs, but the Flyers? (laughs) I'm real glad they ended up doing this. Because I just think it makes the most sense. It makes the most sense, and it's the way the NHL playoffs are supposed to be played. So, I like that part of it. Um, 
I'm not really, I don't think we're going to know how it affects the Flyers until we figure out how the Flyers have decided to play this round robin thing. <laughs> like, I don't know how that's going to go. So. I mean, I'm glad that they did it this way just because this way is the best way to do it. Uh-huh. It, it, it never made any sense to me to keep, because the whole, I don't understand why the NHL is so attached to this, this strict bracket idea, because like, I understand why they were so attached to the strict bracket idea in the normal format that they're using currently not not with this but like what they usually do when there's not a pandemic going on because the whole point of that is to try to you know link up the the divisions and have these rivalries and everything like that but like i don't see what benefit the strict brackets would do in this tournament because you've already tossed out the divisional matchups anyway by bringing the top four seeds like it's not like they took two the top two seeds in each division and made them the top four seeds. Like it was just the four teams with the best record by points percentage. So you're already messing with the divisions. So why would a strict bracket make any sense at all? And I almost wonder if, I mean, this is the cynic in me. I almost wonder if like the NHL knew that the players wanted the reseed because mm. it just made sense, and they were just using it as kind of like a way to negotiate in something yep. else that the league wanted. Because I just it didn't make any sense to me why the league would care whether it was strict bracket or not because there's no upside there's there's nothing that they there's no benefit to the league for going strict bracket over reseed reseed always made the most sense. Charlie, here's the uh, your reason is probably I think there's two reasons and they both make up fifty percent. The <laughs> other is. The other is the bracket challenges. They yeah. want people tweet. They want people tweeting out the bracket challenges, yeah, and that's yeah. it. They think like filling out your I bracket is what makes the NCAA tournament so big, and they're <laughs> like, "Yes, let's do this. It's the same thing." That is extremely NHL to like glom on to like the most surface level portion of what makes another sport successful, and try to do that and be like, "See, we're fun too. We can do 100%. brackets." One hundred percent. It's there's when I was because I was do I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Why would a strict bracket ever make sense?" Obviously, with this stupid divisional format that they do normally, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. That's so dumb. But just in what the what we all think the playoffs should be at this point, reseeding makes sense. Yeah, I'm really glad. What they did you keep- play? Eighty two games. <laughs> That's always my thing. If you're gonna have like a sixteen game season like the NFL, yeah, sure, whatever. When you're playing eighty two or one hundred and sixty two games, and then you go with a strict stupid ass bracket or something, why did you do all that? What was the point? Yeah, I'm actually glad they came to this conclusion because I... Because it's... You think they're going to go with the stupider thing every time. Right, exactly. So, way to prove me wrong, NHL. I appreciate you. So, what is, like... what do you, Who do you think the best possible first-round opponent is for the Flyers? Following, obviously, the round robin. Yeah, so the cool thing about this is now, like... I mean, I guess, in theory... Even if they would have done a strict bracket, the Flyers could still theoretically play have, have played anyone because just would have boiled down to where they ended up and who won the play in. But like now, it really now we can really get all in on the on the idea of man. I hope they can get the one seed because if they get the one seed, then they play against the worst playing team at least by seed. But it's interesting the idea of which team would you rather like would do you want the Flyers to play because I don't necessarily know if that is Montreal. If Montreal is the team out of the, you know, all the eight possibilities that I would rather see the Flyers play over anyone else. Like, I think they would beat Montreal, but Montreal has some things going for them. I mean, they have Carey Price. They actually were a pretty good play-driving team this year. So I don't know if Montreal is a team that, like, give me my choice. They would be who I'd want the Flyers to play. But I'm curious to who, as to, you know, what you guys think. I mean, with Dale Weiss, obviously they're a great play-driving team. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't want them I either. I forgot to call him Weiss, son of a bitch. Only because I, as mediocre as Carey Price has been, or average as Carey Price has been, you know that he's capable of going on a hot streak hot enough to carry his team through a playoff round, and I don't want to risk that happening in the first round if, of the playoffs. If they beat the Penguins, they're going to be feeling it, and yep. chances are Price will play a big part in that. Yep. I do not need so that. I, I, don't, I don't know who I would run. I want the Penguins, man. That's all. Yeah. I just want the Penguins. Yeah, I wouldn't hate ins- that. You're insane. But, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. I just I think you're insane. I have some research already done for articles and podcasts oh, based boy. on the Penguins. I want to use it. <laughs> it. It would be, I mean, let's be real. It would be the most fun 
way to have all of this ridiculous stuff happen for the play, like the real legit playoffs to open up against our obvious biggest rival is um, would be a lot of fun. So there's that. Is um, will we know? Will Charlie? Will we know the uh, the trophy at least candidates by the playoffs? Wait, you say trophy candidates? You mean the yeah, the, like the the NHL awards at least the like top candidates. Um, I would imagine so. I mean, the whole point of doing the awards voting, truthfully, is just to give the NHL more publicity and to give media yeah. people more things to write about. So I can't imagine they'll embargo it for five months to wait until all of this is done. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, we started, the, the voting opened yesterday. I think it closes on the 15th. I haven't made my, my votes yet, but I, I pretty much, I have a pretty good idea of, of who all my winners are going to be. I just need to think about, like, you know, who's going to be my two through five on some of the awards. Yeah. Um, but I, I would guess that it might be, like, a next month thing when uh, when all that stuff gets uh, gets released. Because, like, while I think the Penguins are the best, if we know Panarin is winning the heart and we get the Rangers, I think that would be cool, too. Ah, yeah, the, Ranger, yeah. the Rangers are, are one of the teams that I would like to see the Flyers play. I think that I just look at it as, yeah, Panarin's great, and he is, but I have zero doubt in my mind that Sean Gattari can shut him down and take Panarin off that team, and they're nothing. Then the only thing you really have to worry about, in my mind, is um, Shostorka. I, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, the goalie. Yeah. Because, like, he was really good. And, um, and like, you never know with a guy like that. He's only played, I think, 10, 12 NHL games so far, but he was great in them. And maybe the Rangers just stumbled upon, like, the next superstar, and that could be a concern. But aside from that, like, I think the Rangers as a team aren't very good. Um, of course that, they freaking stumbled upon yeah, him. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah, I mean, they went right from Richter to Lundqvist and now to this guy. Um, but uh, I think the team that I um, that I feel like the Flyers would – I would feel the most confident if the Flyers faced is uh, is Florida, just because I think they, they're bad. They are bad, and it's annoying that they're consideration at this point. But I would ha- – it would be cool to beat Quenville, though. That would be fun. Yeah. And yes. Hart beats Bob, so we can put that to bed finally. That that would uh, that would end a lot of debates right there. I think. God, there's at least ones I have in my head. So many narratives <laughs> that could be yeah. born from these playoffs. Just let's go Flyers. playoffs. I need storylines. Love a narrative. There's so many. So I asked Charlie about the uh, about the NHL awards, and obviously Sean Couturier. We are all in. You know, we all believe deserves the uh, deserves the Selkie Trophy. But we did find out uh, because every team has a nominee. We did find out the Flyers for the Masterton Trophy, and it is of course Oscar Lindblom, who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in December. Um, we know what this award kind of is. It it seems a little weird to me, like. I, I, who the hell else is it going to be? And the guy finished up his 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 uh, you know uh, his treatments and everything, and all accounts are he's doing well, and he's been an inspiration for a lot of people. Um, his story has been positive thus far. I just feel like I don't know. Shouldn't he come back first before we like give him an award? It's just, and I'm not trying to say that cynically. Like I just. It seems it the whole thing just seems weird to me and the award itself is pretty weird a lot of the time but it's it's uncomfortable I don't know. Yeah, that's and, and this is something that like I went back and forth talking about on Twitter to bring up on Twitter but I just didn't want to because it, it's it's something that I felt like deserved a little bit more nuance than what could be done on on that medium. Oh yeah, not um, doing that on social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I I have extremely mixed feelings about the Masterton at least in how it's given out right now. Because, like, to be clear, I'm very happy that Oscar Lindblom, you know, got our nomination, which I voted on as well as all the other uh, Philadelphia, you know, PHWA writers. Uh, and I'm going to vote for Oscar. Like, obviously, I'm going to vote for, for the guy, you know, just kind of due to what he's gone through and the relationship I have with him, you know, the working relationship and whatnot. He's going to be my vote. But I, I, I'm legitimately uncomfortable with how the Masterton has seemingly turned into an award where hockey writers try to objectively rank who had the most shitty year personally. And it just, I don't know. It's just, it's very like, like how am I, 
who am I to say that Oscar Limblom's year was worse than Jay Bomeister, who had a heart attack on the bench, and Bobby Ryan, who went through alcohol you know, rehab? Like, I'm, it's, it's just one of those things where, like, I don't know if this is something that we should be ranking and we should be, like, saying that, oh, well, Oscar's year was worse than yours, so we're giving him the Masterton. Like, I just feel like there's there's usually with these with these awards, the Masterton, there's usually, like, ten guys who you're like, man, they, they really would be good candidates for this. And I feel extremely uncomfortable saying that, like, one guy deserves it more than another because, like, they've all been through some tough shit. And I just don't love... I just don't love the idea of like objectively ranking. I almost wish it, I almost think it'd be better if they just like gave out a bunch of these awards. Like they, you know, there was just like a committee that came together and was like, okay, these seven guys deserve the Masterton award for this year and just gave it to them all in, in honor of like the hardship they had to deal with this year, rather than asking hockey writers to try to decide who dealt with the most hardship, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I was going to say that like, maybe this should just be like a, Every team, if they feel that they have someone who's overcome a bunch of shit, nominates someone. And then those guys, like, if it's 31 guys, okay. If it's 10 guys, okay. Those guys are given, like, collectively the Masterton Trophy. Because it is, like, it is just an extremely weird thing, like you said, to, like, you're awarding someone for having a fucking terrible year like I don't it's just like a weird thing like is Oscar Limblom gonna be like fuck yeah I won the Mastodon because I got cancer <laughs> like it's like a weird yeah, and that's like I, in all these situations no matter what like Charlie said he's gonna vote for Limblom like I see a Philadelphia Flyer on a ballot I'm hoping he wins but like am I rooting for him to like win this award like Sean Couturier I'm like he better win the Selkie or uh, there's gonna be trouble yeah uh, you know, me bitching on this show to you guys. <laughs> but, like, if Oscar Limblom doesn't get the Masterton, am I going to be, like, I don't, I, I just, I, I think Bobby Ryan deserves it. Um, mostly, I mean, overcoming alcoholism, scoring the hat trick, that's all well and good. But fuck, man, he's still stuck in Ottawa, too. Yeah, he's overcome a lot. <laughs> Just, like, the whole... Honestly, anyone on Ottawa's roster deserves it. It should go to 31 guys, and it's their roster. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus God, what a mess Christ. that organization is. Uh, they're, they're the... Whenever you think, like, oh, you know who's the worst? The New York Knicks. You know who's the worst? Like, no, it's the Ottawa Senators in all of sports. Every time. It's, it's, it's just... It's funny, though. Like, I mean, I'm a member of the, the PHWA, and I'm pretty sure the PHWA, like might want to like strip my my uh, membership because i believe that there are two awards the masterton and the lady bing that we shouldn't vote on and it's like how can you say that you're a writer it's like well i don't think writers really have a good understanding of which players are truly the most sportsmanlike and gentlemanly and i have <laughs> deep concerns about just the entire concept of the masterton and picking one person's hardship over another but like i imagine the phwa like brass why are you taking power away from us this isn't good we are the most no, important no, people it, like, especially when you said like it's not just naming the winner that would be one thing but you do vote one to five on all the awards so you are asked to actually rank people's personal tragedies it's just uh, it is it is uncomfortable i i I saw it, and I was like, cool for Oscar. This is, you know, one more thing to, I, I don't, is it to lift his spirits or just honor? I don't know. It just, it's weird. Does it's he weird. get money? Is this one of the ones you get money for? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't want to say one or the other. Yeah, I'm not I don't sure. know. I, I mean, and then it's it, just. Yeah. Yeah. And it would, then it would, it would, it would like, seem to be more like a charity thing, I would mm, guess. Yeah. That would probably make the most sense, that, like, if you win, maybe they donate money to, to a charity of choice. But I, I couldn't tell you one or the other. I'm not sure. And then you just see, because every team has a nominee, and then you just see, like, oh, yeah, Connor McDavid. He did hurt. He did get hurt at the end of last year. That's right. I totally forgot. And now he's back. Because to me, that was always kind of the thing. It was like a comeback player of the year award first, and then it became this other thing. Yeah, yeah I, all, I mean, I, I was going to like say, that. yeah, come comeback is how I always imagined it. But it's it's morphed into who's had the worst luck possible this season. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I like the nomination process. Like, I like the idea of let's highlight someone for all the shit they had to deal with this year, and let's tell that story because it's a worthwhile story. I'm just, I'm, I find myself very uncomfortable with the idea of picking one story out of the 31. All right, so uh, something else that was kind of uncomfortable was that tweet the NHL sent out the Woo! other day with the, with the video basically just, hooray for diversity and Tyler Sagan. Uh, <laughs> they my just God, can't. But, uh, there is going to be a diversity alliance uh, that the NHL players and the league are are coming are putting together in order to combat some of these systemic issues in the sport and in communities. Um, is this just some PR bullshit? What do we think about this Hockey Diversity Alliance? I I'm cynical on this kind of stuff flat out just because it's PR to me, but maybe they are going to do some good. Well, it seemed to me, if I read correctly, that these players kind of came together to do yeah. this. I don't know if it was something that the league initiated. If the league initiated it, I would agree with you that it's just a bunch of bullshit. No, when I saw that the players were actually the ones yeah. like involved in this, that gave me more confidence in the fact that it won't be just bullshit, I guess. I mean, I, no, I, I don't... I, I, yeah, yeah go, go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I don't know how much the league will listen to these guys or what kind of changes they'll implement based on their advice. But it is, I think it's important, I think to know that it was kind of like organically formed by these players who want to try to fix their sport. And that's, that is, you know, the start of something good, I think. Um, Yeah. So at least there's that. Yeah, my understanding is this this was a player's initiative. This wasn't mm-hmm. an NHL thing. Um, and I think one way that it's pretty obvious that this wasn't a league thing is the fact that, like, in the initial blast of articles, they were basically saying that, like, they were using Colin Kaepernick as a sounding board. And I, I would assume, like, I know, like, public opinion is probably starting to ch- turn around on Kaepernick's protest, but, like, a league like the NHL, which is so incredibly concerned about their image and being palatable to everyone and all this other crap, like, they... I doubt that they would have openly embraced Colin Kaepernick. So yeah. the fact that this this initiative has leads me to believe that this is not an NHL-driven initiative, that this is truly an independent player initiative. Now, as, as you guys said, it doesn't necessarily mean that the league is going to listen to them. But, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see any way this is a bad thing, Mm-mm. I guess. What, like, what is this, uh, you know, we can speak in generalities and hypothetical. What do you really think the, like... What good can come of this? Do you think there's a possibility for, like in the NFL, they have the Rooney Rule. When you have a coaching, uh, when you have a coaching vacancy, you have to interview at least one minority candidate. I could see something like that coming around for the NHL, but there have to be so many other things at lower levels just to get non-whites involved in hockey, so that there's a bigger pool. It's going to be the same three guys circulating just as like, oh, here's our token candidate. And listen, it's that's a starting place at least. You got to interview somebody. And if it gets one person's name out there, that's more than there was. But I, it just seems like such an issue at all levels of hockey, not just the NHL. I mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think representation obviously is important. Like, obviously, it's, and I, I think, you know, you briefly touched on that, uh, the Tyler Sagan video, and I think that's a classic example of why representation is important, even just in the league offices, because that's a, that's something where, like, I imagine the reason why the NHL thought that was a good idea is because there was no, there was no one, or there was very, there were very few minorities involved in the, the decision making and planning and creative process that were in the room to say this is bad. You should not be centering a white player protest during all this, and like so that that's where representation obviously is extremely important. But where I think that this sort of initiative can help, can theoretically help a lot, is players in lower levels of hockey players in upper levels of hockey now theoretically could have somewhere to go to when they're be they're being faced with racism in the locker room okay. on the ice things yeah. like that because let me put it this way if you're a like junior b player and your teammates are saying like racist shit to you or making racist jokes like yeah you can you know you can 
go up to them and say something and that might get get you pegged as a malcontent or whatever or you can go to this players initiative and then wayne simmons can show up and be like yo cut the <laughs> fuck out like i i just i, I feel like th- these are the types of things or at least like you know it it feels like that might be the best way to do it because those players have so much clout because they're freaking NHL players. Some of them are NHL stars. And to me, that's where like, it sucks because like it's, it shouldn't be necessary, but I think it is a way that it can help. And I I agree with you, Bill, in the sense that probably the places it could help the most are the lower levels because that's where all this gets started. Yeah. I kind of feel like this might also help in the sense that, I mean, all of the stories that have come out from minority hockey players about the kind of abuses that they suffered, it seems to be that saying racist things, being terrible people is kind of just like an accepted part of the locker room and hockey culture. And if it's become clear, I think that that's no longer acceptable. And these star NHL players forming this committee to say like no no we're watching this it's definitely not acceptable perhaps that will you know if you're a piece of shit in an nhl locker room and you want to call your teammate a racial slur because you're an asshole maybe now you think twice about doing that because you don't want to affect your future in the nhl because it's no longer acceptable for that kind of person to exist in the league rather than the way that it appears to be now, like what we learned from Akeem Alou, that if you're the person being attacked and you speak up, you're the person whose career suffers. And if we can flip that around, you know, you can't always make people not be pieces of shit, but if you can at least make them keep that to themselves, that might be a victory in and of itself. I don't know. No, because that shit, it spreads and people get uh-huh. comfortable and it, it's, it, it is, it is, a, it's... It's one of those boys club things. We we talk about the hockey man culture on here yeah. jokingly and usually referring to it like in the way they see the game, but that that stone age thought process of the good old boys network extends to relationships in the locker room and the way yeah. people deal with each other and if they can chip away at that somewhat, uh, it it'll just make things better for everyone and getting back to what Charlie said like yeah, it, it might take some time to be able to get more, um, you know, minority candidates for coaching positions, uh, just involved in hockey operations side. But absolutely where they can help themselves from a PR standpoint so they don't do things like that fucking video is hire just people with a little bit darker skin yeah. to maybe work in the league office in, in that sort of way. Marketing, PR... All that kind of all that kind of thing, and the hockey operations will come as the world evolves, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much I can expect of the NHL in that regard, just because it is such an insular network of like, especially with coaching jobs, it's like the same forty guys, and yeah. it's been the same <laughs> forty guys for the past like decade, and the only one that even got close, I think, to breaking into that is what's his face, Ted, uh, Ted Nolan. He was a He's an indigenous, I think, Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, but, like, that part, I kind of... I, it, it might be a reach for me to expect that the NHL is going to do something like the NFL does with that interview rule, but I do think that you can, at the very least, get an ex-NHL hockey player, since it's got to be an ex-NHL hockey player, that's not a white guy, give him a job in the league office, and let him tell you all of the ways that you're fucking up. And that and that would, you know, pay for itself in spades very easily. Um, but yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. And I I want to temper my expectation just because I, I don't know how quickly a league full of white Canadian dudes can turn itself around. But at least and moves like, are being to, made. I hate to put the burden on, like you know, one black guy to come into the league office and be like, all right, here is how Stop you guys this, are fucked up. Yeah. Like, that's not fair to anybody. No, it's but not. at least as, as long, if it's a job, yeah. you know, hey, let's run this by the only guy who has any experience outside of our own. Uh, you know, that would be a start, I suppose. Well, I mean, it also just goes beyond, like, running it by someone. It's just the fact that, like, the entire department would work better 
with yeah you know with, with with more representation like yesterday was a pr mess for the nhl that's objectively bad and the opposite of what you're trying to do on social media so if there was better you know representation maybe that wouldn't happen probably that wouldn't happen and then you avoid something that made your entire department look like you're doing the opposite of what you're trying to do which is you know create good public public relations for the nhl so it goes beyond just simple representation it's just a matter of like you have a you know these the entirety of public relations works better when there are different perspectives in the room yeah absolutely what we are gonna do what we're gonna do right here is take a quick break and on the other side i am stealing some content from local sports radio so get ready for that it'll be a barn burner okay and we are back and as promised uh i am stealing some uh some content ideas from a, uh, an employee I am furloughed by at the time. Right now on one of the local sports radio stations, they're doing, they're, they're basically setting up a, a bracket of, you know, the all-time Philadelphia GOAT. The greatest of all time. And uh, all-time, greatest of all time. Yeah, good one, Bill. Um, <laughs> but it just started, like, and they're, they're going to have, like, oh, yeah, Dawkins versus Iverson, all this stuff. And, listen, Mount Rushmore debates are, I mean, that's... That's that's the bread and butter of this business, but I I get bored by them. Uh, obviously, if we're I I just made me think about, however, like what the Flyers great who the greatest Flyer of all time is, and obviously it's gonna come down to Clark and Bernie. But if you want to look at a Final Four, the other two spots are kind of difficult, and for this purpose, I'm only doing athletes. So I'm taking out Fred Shiro and I'm taking out Ed Snyder because those obviously Ed Snyder would be on like a Mount Rushmore of the Flyers, um, probably Shiro too because yeah he's got the quote he was the coach of those two teams only coach to win. So if it's Bobby and Bernie and we know like in a bracket situation those two have home ice and they're going <laughs> on to the final, but who the hell are the other two? I honestly don't think it's that hard. I feel like like if you're doing this it. It's got to be the guys that have made it to the Hall of Fame. Like, that just seems logical to me. Like, if we're talking about the greatest of all time, they've got to be in the Hall of Fame. And that kind of limits you to Eric Lindros and Bill Barber. Um, and Mark Howe and Mark Recchi. No, I <laughs> I reject Mark Recchi. Mark Recchi is not a flyer. He's a penguin. Um, <laughs> the Mark Recchi hate is just never ending. It will never end. Charles, I will take it to my grave. It'll be on my tombstone. Fuck Mark Recchi. Um, but I just don't, I don't think that you can go outside of the guys that are hanging from the rafters and like, not to be crass about it. A couple of them are up there cause they died. Um, but I, I just don't know how you, it's not Lindros and Barber. I don't my know. real, it's, it came down to three guys for me. And it's Barber, Lindros, and those are my two. Yeah. But then, like, does Claude Giroux belong up there already? I think you can make the argument, for sure. And if, like, my argument is, when it's all said and done, he'll be up in that final four, he just isn't yet. Who does he replace? Who of Barber and Lindros does he boot out? I guess uh. if you... I guess it would have to... Would it be Barber? I don't know. I, to I, me, it's got to be lean, Lindros. I, yeah, I lean towards Barber just because Barber. I I view, I view Barber as great as he was as like the second fiddle to Clark. Yeah, and that's what I thought too. That he's like an, he's like a, a side piece. Like he's not the main guy. Yeah, he's like, the li- franchise all-time leading goal scorer. Yeah. He won- He was on both cup teams. He was a captain at one point. I, Lindros never won, and I think that's what it comes down to for me. Bill, you know that's you know that's not an accurate way to evaluate someone's greatness. But if it's coming down, say when in my mind, Giroux wins a cup, and then it'll be what three cup winners, and the guy who didn't fully reach his potential, that doesn't seem right to me. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to no, I know, I know. Lindros in any way. I'm saying he's the fifth greatest flyer of all time. If Claude Giroux wins a cup, I, I, I guess, yeah, you would have to replace Lindros with Giroux. 
But if he doesn't, then there's an argument to be made there, but I'm not sure that you could 100% convince me of it. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like mine, I think mine is Clark, Perrant, Lindros, and Giroux. I think I would have to knock Barber out. And maybe that's partially because I didn't watch Barber, but I just have the perception of Barber as like a really good player, but not like Bobby Clark is the best player in Flyers history without a doubt. And he's an all-time great. Bill Barber was a very good player who I don't know if I would consider, and actually I don't, I don't want to say I don't know, I would not consider Bill Barber to be an all-time great. Like, he's a Hall of Famer, but he's nowhere in any of the conversations for, like, you know, even best player of that era. Whereas Lindros is absolutely in the conversation for best player of his era, and I think Giroux should be in the conversation for best player of his era. So I just don't... Yeah, I know Barber's got some of the records, and Barber was a great player, and Barber stayed in you know in, in touch with the organization. He obviously was coach. Now he's working with Dave Scott a lot. So I get it, but I just... I, I guess for Mount Rushmore, I want to reward what I consider to be greatness. Yeah. I don't know if I put Barber's greatness on the level of Lindros's or Giroux's. Yeah, Barber, like- as... As far as I know, Bill Barber is the only three-time champion in franchise history, having coached the Phantoms to a Calder Cup. He did do that. In oh, the God. same building, they won the Stanley Cup. He did do that. I just, oh, I, geez. I always, I think of Bill Barber as, like, LeClaire. Like, great because of the tandem that he had with Eric Lindros. Like, would LeClaire have been good without Eric Lindros? Absolutely. Would he have been as good without Eric Lindros? I don't know. No, and we have the anecdotal, you know, he's a 25 to 30 goal scorer without Lindros, and he's a 50 goal scorer with him. Right. We don't have as much of that with Barber because they both play basically their whole careers together, he and Clark. Uh, They're line mates, the LCB line. We know all this stuff. I just have trouble taking off the guy who did win for the guy who didn't. But it... I don't know. It, it just bothers me because it's so unfair to put the team award on the shoulders of someone and rank individual performance based on winning or not winning a team but award. But individually, he scored more goals than anyone in franchise history. He did do that. And the number is significant. It's, it's a lot. It's 420. It was a lot easier to score a goal back then, William. Ah. <laughs> the 70s weren't the 80s. That's true. I mean, that's fair. I just, I don't know. That It's a it's a very tough question, but I'm with Charlie, and if you put a gun to my head, I'm taking Barber off. Okay. When it comes down, now Charlie was definitive. Yeah. Bar or, uh, Clark over Perron. Is it that easy for you? Clark over Perron. I think I think so. It's man, just because per, I say Perron obviously was the best at his position for his time, without question. But I feel like if we're so if we're, we're not talking league wide, game wide, we're talking specifically to the Flyers. I think yeah. that Bobby Clark was such an important part of those teams in like a million different ways that he's kind of above Perrant for that reason. He, I think, long, like, longevity, the the great, the, like, length of his greatness, his mm-hmm. peak was longer, Clark. But, man, Bernie, back-to-back Vezinas, back-to-back Conn Smites. It's impossible without him. I, I think you can, like, I don't even think you can make a case. I think it's just an, an, an outright fact that Bernie Perrant's peak is the best peak in Flyers history of any player at any position. I mean, he his peak stands above every single other player's peak. However, I don't think longevity can be take can be taken out of the equation. And yeah. Bobby Clark was a superstar for 10 plus years. Well, maybe like 10 years. Probably the last couple of years he was more of like a, a you know, a, a role player rather than a true superstar. But like Perrant was was good to great for like three or four years then had two holy shit amazing years and then kind of was hurt a lot so i absolutely think bernie perron is a slam dunk top two flyer of all time but clark just did it for longer 
And while I think Perron's peak was better than Clark's peak, Clark's peak was damn freaking good. I mean, the guy yeah, won what not, three three heart trophies, two heart I trophies. I think it's three. Yeah, that's the. It's not like three in a row or something. But yeah, he's in the heart trophy conversation every year. <laughs> wins three of them. Like it's not like we're just talking longevity here. He was fucking awesome for a long time. Uh, and I'll tell you now that we're we're removed from the Clarky era of his general managership, I am like. I'm more accepting. I, I, I don't I don't hold his time as GM against him nearly as much as I did <laughs> years ago. And also, like, I told you, I watched that 75 final the other night against the Sabres when they won their second of the two cups. He had two dangles in that game. They didn't, like, one was to set up a breakout, and, like, they were just nothing plays. You wouldn't even notice them today. But my god, in 1975, they were by far the two most interesting things that happened in that game, including the two goals. I was going to ask if that game held up. Like, was it actually fun to watch? Because when I watch I, old games, I I'm like... I enjoyed it, oh. knowing, knowing how it went, and yeah. it's the Flyers. Listen, if that's, if that's the Leafs and the, and the Habs on a Tuesday in the regular season... I would hate the goddamn thing. <laughs> but it, it, there was... I'll tell you, the other goalie for Buffalo played a hell of a game. Bernie made some clutch saves. It was kind of just cool watching guys I've only seen play in, like, the USSR game and a <laughs> few others. Like, it, it, But, it, no, it's 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 a much, much different game yeah. than today. I find um, Super World Hockey hard to watch, personally. But, yeah, just seeing, like, he is by far, Clark, the most skilled guy on the ice. Like, that... It was just seeing him with two little dangles, two little moves that he made that no one else would have even tried. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, he was that good, huh? Yeah, there are some players that you can kind of tell that if you picked them up and put them in a different era, they would still be good. And I feel like Bobby Clark's definitely one of them. Like, there are some players that were good because they played at a particular time. And I feel like Clark is one of the guys, like, you could pick him up and put him in the late 80s, and he would still be outstanding. Yeah, if he comes around 10 years later and plays 80s into the 90s, I bet you he's still a Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's thing. One thing, there is one thing that I do want to point out about that, because, like, I, I generally am in agreement with the argument that, like, players have never been better than they are today. They've never been faster. They've never been stronger. And that's true. I 100% believe that. However... You do have to say that, like, yes, if you if you found some way to create a time machine and you put, you know, 1970s Bobby Clark on the ice today, he probably wouldn't be a superstar. However, if you took Bobby Clark and stole him away as a child at <laughs> six months, dropped him in today's day and age, and had him grow up with the types of training methods and everything like that, and had him grow up in this day and age— I absolutely think he would be one of the best players in hockey. Like yeah. part of the reason, part of the reason why the players are better doesn't necessarily have to do with the players. It just has to do with the fact that everything else has gotten yeah. better. Like the actual individual innate talent level of players, I don't think has gotten dramatically better. It's just that we've gotten better at getting more out of that talent. So like those guys back then. I think we're just as the best players back then are just as talented as the best players today. It's just now we have better equipment, better training methods. The player, it's not acceptable for players to like go out to fucking the, the bar every night after a game and get shit faced. Like everything is different. So players are just in better condition, but the talent level, like I think Bobby Clark from a talent level standpoint still has the talent level to be a superstar in today's day and age. It's just that he would be a lot in a lot better shape and, play with better sticks and play with better skates and work with more trainers and work work more often and things like that. That's a good point, actually. And it is worth noting that if you were to, you know, bring a young Bobby Clark into today's day and age, the Flyers would have never got him in the second round because people would have gone, oh, diabetes? Yeah, that's like, yeah, people people are fine with that now. Yeah. It's, it, you're, you're not going to die at 24. So yeah, we'll Cabo, draft Capo Caco, second overall pick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fun side note I had looking this up when I was just looking at the Flyers, like, Hall of Famers who spent their primes here, the majority of their career, you know, we have Barber, we have Lindros, uh, Hal, Recky, and obviously Bernie and Bobby. That's really it. They have employed a bunch of Hall of Famers. 
Chris Pronger, Alan Stanley, and Dale Howarchuk all finished their Hall of Fame careers as Flyers, <laughs> while Adam Oates, Peter Forsberg, Daryl Sittler, Paul Coffey all hung around a few years longer than even the Flyers would take them. Man, that's my childhood right there. Having Hall of Famers in their late 30s. The Flyers were so good at getting great players when they were not great anymore. Yeah, like Paul Coffey in 97. What? Oh, boy. What? Adam Oates. Adam Oates. Yikes. What a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so there's... Uh, I, I, I included Mark Recchi in this conversation just so you could hate on him. Thank you. I appreciate that. It gave me something to do on this show. Yeah. For the record, I, fuck Mark Recchi. <laughs> do we have anything else to talk about today? No, nah, I, I think I think we went over everything that's like immediately relevant. Yeah, it's it's not as long as a show as usual, but I wouldn't call this one a short show. Uh, it's we covered, I think, the bases. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Hit subscribe. Give us good reviews. You know, tell us on Twitter how awesome we are. Maybe write a hand li- handwritten letter. I'll uh, DM me. I'll send you Charlie's home address. You can, you no. can hit him up. <laughs> like Charlie has ever given me his home address. Come on. Fair. All right. Yeah, that's it. Thank you all. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah.